You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Jason Nitz of Warforged and Spent Case. There's this episode and over 440 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. What is up, everybody? Welcome to today's podcast. I am so excited that you are here with me, and I am very excited about this week's guest, Mr. John Nolan from Taking Back Sunday, Straylight Run, and a bunch of other projects. I've been a big fan of his work for years, and I know a lot of you have too, so this is one of those episodes that is just a real treat. You know, it's not something I ever thought I would get to do, and it's always exciting to uh, talk to people that you admire and whose work has had a lot of impact on you over the years. So this is a this is a really fun episode for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I just want to do one quick reminder before we jump into this episode, because I had a lot of fun this weekend with the folks over on the text chat. So if you text 503-751-8577, that comes directly to me. You click a few buttons, you join the text community, and what happens then is I'll send messages out to the whole group, and that will engage you to participate in a conversation with me. So it's not a group chat where everyone is all chatting together. It is a one-on-one conversation between myself and yourself, and you can ask me whatever you want. We're talking gear, we're talking music, we're talking music business, and this weekend we were discussing horror movies. So you never know what those conversations might be. And yes, it is indeed me. It is me and my thumbs doing the texting. No one else is involved, and I do really work hard to respond to everybody over there. It's a lot of fun. It's one of the more fun things that I've gotten to do with this community. And uh, with the recent Zucks outage, I was really, really happy to be able to still have a line of communication with the listeners. So if that is something you would like to participate in, You can just shoot a message to 503-751-8577, answer a few questions. Then if you ever decide it's not for you, you can just text stop and that's it. I don't share that information with anybody. I don't even see the phone numbers. So it's all private. It's all groovy and it's a lot of fun. So anyway, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mr. John Nolan. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have John Nolan from Taking Back Sunday, Straylight Run, and just a whole bunch of other stuff. What's going on, man? 
Hey, not too much. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I wish I could have done this in person, but you know, such as the times we live in, you know, this is a, yes, this will do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So a little bit of backstory, uh, been a fan for a really long time. So of, uh, a bunch of your different projects. So, uh, this is really exciting for me. And also as a little bit of a sidebar, my wife has specifically been every time she listens to stray light run, she's like, you know, you really need to get John on the podcast. Like, for like three years, she's been oh. <laughs> me to do this. So, well, I'm glad it finally happened. Me too. Yeah, I got an email uh, from Amy about something, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" I just replied real quick, and Lynn was like, "You finally did it!" So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure most of my audience is probably pretty familiar with you and what you've done. But maybe a good place to start for those that aren't aware, you can. I know you've done a, a bunch of interviews and told your story many times, but the quick and dirty version of uh, who you are and your musical history and all that jazz. Yeah, sure. Well, I uh, started playing uh, at the, with Taking Back Sunday uh, when the band formed in uh, 1999. And uh, I played with Taking Back Sunday um, through uh, 2003. And then uh, I left and started Straylight Run. And uh, Stray Light Run went until about 2009. And then I rejoined Taking Back Sunday in 2010. And uh, then throughout all that stuff, I've uh, put out some solo records uh, on my own. And uh, then uh, not too long ago, I uh, started a project with uh, Anthony Green and, and Adam from, from my band and uh, Ben Homola from group love and uh i think that about brings us up to speed <laughs> nice very cool man yeah so you primarily played guitar uh for all of these but do you play other things as well yeah i played piano is is my uh second you know the the, the instrument that i'm kind of uh, i guess second most knowledgeable about um I've done a bit of it with uh, Taking Back Sunday, uh, a lot more of it with uh, Straylight Run. And then, uh, I mean, that's about it for real. I, I play the bass. Like, I mean, most guitar players could play the bass. But uh, um, a lot of my solo stuff, I, I have recorded the bass on it. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I really tried to approach it like a bass player not like a guitar player who plays the bass uh you know as much as possible and uh i, I learned a little bit of violin um w when i was in my early 20s i took some very very uh basic lessons so i wouldn't say i play the violin at all i learned how to do like scales and i can play like twinkle little star on it or something right right yeah the the whole bass playing guitar player thing it really hits home because i just I just was playing a little bass myself and put a clip out on Instagram. And I'm like, this totally is just a guitar player playing bass. <laughs> like just too much noodling, not enough pocket, you know, and just yeah. like, what are, what are we doing here? Everybody <laughs> thinks they can play bass for some reason. It's yeah. Well, yeah. Well, like, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious, I guess, to anyone who understands the bass, but uh, that, that focus on what's happening with the kick drum 
is 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 very important and as a guitar player it's not usually that much of a thought at least for me i don't know maybe other guitar players think about it more but generally i am not thinking about what the kick drum is doing while i'm I'm playing guitar so Mm -hmm. yeah it's a whole different kind of focus you have to have so have you been much of a gear guy for most of your career you just kind of play whatever's around um i I somewhere in the middle, I would say. Um, I've been more in into to get different guitar pedals and less into them at different times. Um, I kind of settled on on what I like at a certain point uh, in the process. Uh, you know, probably around when I rejoined Taking Back Sunday, I kind of had found all the things I liked, like as far as guitars and amps. And uh, I've pretty much stuck with that for the past uh, 10 years or so. So, you know, it's something that I'm uh, aware of and and interested in, but I'm definitely not one of those people who like is obsessive about it, you know, or like could just go on and on about different types of gear and things like that, you know? Yeah. So can you want to take us through that process? So where did you start gear wise? probably when you started with taking back Sunday and then where did you end up locked in for the last 10 years? So when I started with taking back Sunday, you know, that the, the band was just, it, it was a local band, you know, and uh, we didn't have any reason to think that we would go further than playing like VFW halls on Long Island. I mean, we wanted to, but we didn't have any reason to think that would happen. And I kind of had even less, um, experience with with my gear setup uh, than than probably a lot of other people in local bands. I I had been playing in bands all through high school and after high school, but I kind of had a very basic thing. I think I had I, I think I was still playing like an Ibanez that I had gotten when I was sixteen, and uh, I had like a, a Fender a Fender like combo amp, I think, or something like that. It was not bad, but pretty, pretty basic. I think it was kind of like the, one of the, the cheaper combo amps of, of Fender. And then when I joined Taking Back Sunday, Eddie, the guitar player, kind of was like, uh, you're, you're going to have to uh, change your, your whole uh, approach here. So he kind of got me going with, I, I, I think I ended up with, with some kind of a Marshall uh, half stack after that. And, uh, then I went through like a, a variety of guitars, uh, you know, through through the years, and somewhere along the way, kind of ended up exclusively just playing uh, Fender uh, electric, uh, usually Telecasters or Telecaster Deluxe. Pretty much settled into that, and uh, and generally now um, we we have different. We have a uh, Supro combo amps that we that we use on stage. We kind of went. I kind of went through that thing that I think maybe a lot of guitar players go through too, where you have this giant stack and the you know a, a cabinet with four 12 inch speakers and then you realize at a certain point you're putting a microphone on it so you can use a combo amp and uh and it sounds just as big and and it's much easier to 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 get around with it on the on over the road what about your your pedals were you playing with much many pedals back in the day in the early days of Taking Back Sunday, not that many. I had a pretty basic setup. Um, 
I would say it was it was pretty much um, distortion and uh, and I used to use the the uh, DD three boss delay uh, a lot. Actually, I still still do. I, I really like that pedal. Um, and that was basically it. Uh, there might have been some things that I used in the studio here and there. Um, the, the one thing that I, I learned with Taking Back Sunday was, was also I had a volume pedal in the setup. So a lot of times I would use that to kind of go between clean and dirty or then like somewhere in between mm-hmm. uh, the clean and dirty sound. And I would use that a lot and, and still do with Taking Back Sunday. And then um, with, when I went with started doing stuff with Straylight Run, that was when I started to get a lot more of a uh, more into the pedal side of things and started to get a little more of a, a complex uh, setup with that. Right. When you went in to record, did you basically just take your your road setup and go into the studio, or did you get kind of wild and experimental when you had the opportunity to do so? With uh, with taking Back Sunday, either way. Or- um, yeah, I mean, the first Taking Back Sunday album was was a pretty basic thing, you know, our our, our whole uh, recording process of it. And uh, so that I just brought in, I had, you know, my guitar, whatever it was at the time, and uh, and the basic pedal setup. Um, and then again, yeah, with Straylight Run, there was a lot more of the experimenting with pedals in, in the studio. And then I think I kind of based a lot of what I brought into the live show after recording the album on what I had done in the studio. And that's kind of something I've done ever since then, you know, with, with the last two Taking Back Sunday albums as well. Nowadays, a lot of times we show up and the producer and engineer have just like dozens and dozens or maybe hundreds of pedals to choose from for any given part of any song. And so we'll usually go through a lot of the options and try a lot of things out. And then um, by the end of the process, if there's a sound that I got with, with pedals that I didn't have before, then I'll usually try to work that into my, my setup for the live show. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you mentioned something a little bit earlier when you guys were playing VFW halls and, and all that, and you didn't Mm -hmm. really think you were going to get out of that. Yeah. Was, was there an aha moment where you realized, hey, wait, we might actually be able to get out of the VFW hall? There was actually, which is, uh, it's, we've talked about it a few times in interviews because it, it was funny because uh, Adam and I both had the same aha moment at the same time. And uh, it was like, we had had a different singer at the beginning of the band. And then, uh, Adam was playing bass originally, actually. And so he ended up switching over to vocals, obviously. And uh, we recorded a five-song demo with him. And then I'd say within like six months or so of playing local shows with that demo, we started to really notice uh, a change in, in the amount of people coming out and also like the level of craziness that was happening at the shows and there was one show in particular there uh, there was a bar we used to play on long island uh they would do like all age shows in the afternoon on sunday you know when they can let they'd let anybody in uh even if you weren't 21 and um the place was packed it was a small place but uh 
normally when we would play there, there'd be like maybe 50 people. And this time it was like well over a hundred, like completely packed to the back wall. And everybody was going crazy. And not only that, they, they knew the words to a lot of the songs that we had recorded on these demos. And, uh, after the show, it was really clear, like for Adam and I, we, we both talked about it later. Uh, but that was a moment we kind of both remember sitting back after the show and being like, wow, like something, something's happening, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily like, oh, we're going to be huge or, you know, whatever. But we just knew that uh, something we were doing was catching on. And, and you know, it was it, we were getting somewhere we had never been before. Do you think that was a result of like more and more people coming into the shows and just catching you around long, long Island or were people like circulating your demos around the old school mixtape way, or what do you think caused that to finally happen? Hmm. Well, I think it was probably a combination of things. Um, I think that we've been playing on long Island and kind of building a following. So People knew who we were, which helped. You know, we weren't just coming out of nowhere. Um, I think the the demo did catch on in a really like organic kind of way, where people were playing it for each other. I think back then, you know, it was so long ago that you people couldn't even really. Um, I mean, I guess you could burn a CD. You could, some people had the technology <laughs> to um, to copy a CD, and uh, and and that even at the time was sort of like amazing new technology. So I, I I don't know how much people were actually like spreading it around, but they were definitely playing it for each other, and and there was a word of mouth thing that was happening um, with that, and and at the time too, it was just kind of the right time and place for the type of music we were playing it, it had been around on long island for a long time but it was kind of starting to finally get noticed a little more in the mainstream you had like bands like thursday starting to be on mtv2 and like and maybe even the radio i don't remember but you know so so there was that thing happening too there, there was a lot of factors that were coming together for us mm -hmm. who were some of your early inspirations thursday obviously uh and who else comes to mind? Um, the Get Up Kids were, were a really big one for me. Um, uh, the Promise Ring was also a big one. Those were kind of the two, like, closest in that genre that, that I was really just, like, uh, just super into. And, and um, you know, to me, that was kind of, like, what I was shooting for with you know with, with the sound that that taking mech sunday had and and i think because everybody else had their own influences you know it, it ended up being this mix of a lot of different things um those are the two big ones uh th there was a lot of other stuff you know i i had gotten into modest mouse at that time which wasn't really i i don't think i was able to bring too much of that influence into into what i did with taking back sunday but they were one of my favorites uh, it, it, at that time. And the Archers of the Loaf a bit was one I, re I really remember kind of like, you know, I, th I think like Archers of Loaf, uh, Promise Ring and Get Up Kids were the ones I think I was probably thinking about the most. And maybe at the drive-in, like, of like, okay, this is something maybe I could, an influence I can 
uh, can follow and, you know, into this band a bit. Gotcha. And I have to assume that that changed when Straylight Run became the main focus. You'd evolved a little bit since then, and the sound definitely, it's, you know, you can tell it's in the same vein and the mm-hmm. same person, but it's wildly different. What what made you want to make that switch? Well, the thing is, like, when I talk about those bands, you know, that was stuff I got into really only a, a year or two before I started playing with Taking Back Sunday. Um, and, like, all through high school, I had really been into classic rock. Uh, I, I had, like, a, you know, a huge phase with the Beatles, which, you know, I, I think most most people do at some point in their life. Um, and I had, you know, even be, like being from Long Island, like even Billy Joel was kind of like a huge thing to me. You know, the uh, Billy Joel's greatest hits was sort of uh, every Long Islander had to have their copy of it. And so I was really into that and uh, and like Ben Folds 5 and, um, you know, and then with the, the, uh, the promise ring and all that kind of stuff, there was also a lot of more like indie type things that I had gotten into uh, again, like, like modest mouse and uh, built to spill was, was a huge one for me. So I, I had kind of, even before taking back Sunday had all these musical influences that I just, that there wasn't really much place for them uh, with taking back Sunday. So I think with Straylight run, I was kind of going, um, back to to a lot of those. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. One of the things I like to get into with somebody who's been able to, you know, make music their career in such a direct way for so long is like talking to younger bands and newer artists and things like that. Is there any advice or warnings or anything you would say to your younger self that you could say to somebody trying to get started in the music industry in the same capacity today? Um, well, I don't know if I would say it to myself, but I, I would definitely say to anybody trying to make it uh, in a band, it, it, and, and especially if you're younger and trying trying to make it happen, is that, uh, I, I mean, I think you have to be doing it because you just love doing it so much and it's it's the only thing you can really see yourself doing um i think if you're doing it because you want to be uh famous or you want to make a lot of money um or you want girls to like you or i don't know any number of things uh you're you're not going to be able to to stick it out for very long um i mean you can get famous obviously and have uh, girls like you and make money those those things do do happen but uh uh there's a lot of stuff i think that comes with with being in a touring band uh for for the long term that is just it's really difficult there's a lot of things i think that people don't realize they're gonna have to deal with and i think the only thing that makes you stick it out through all that stuff is just the love of, of playing music and and just knowing it's it's what you do and what you kind of have to do. Yeah, I I think I think there are enough of these conversations out there at this point and enough you know general knowledge the curtain's been pulled back a little bit that hopefully people are aware that 
you know, the rock star lifestyle isn't quite what it used to be and maybe in most cases it never was what it was portrayed as i mean i, yeah. I know motley crew was always wild right but <laughs> there's only one motley crew uh and, uh, and thousands if <laughs> of other bands yeah. are not that way um clearly there's there's crazy things that happen and outliers but after doing this podcast and getting to know so many people that i've looked up to over the years the story generally is you know like i'll when I'd go interview somebody here in Portland, it's like, wow, look at this wild time backstage with carrots and celery, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a bunch of dudes just sitting looking at their phone for two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not quite, I think, what the the general public may think it is, although I do think that's changing. But, yeah, well, and and I think that probably even uh, in the 90s and maybe the 80s and whatever that I think a lot of this typical rock star type stuff that people think about, um, a lot of it does happen. I mean, and, and even through, you know, for forever, I, I think that uh, people, that, that it, the, the typical stuff that, that people think about, you know, there is a reality to it. There's just a whole nother reality <laughs> that's a lot more, boring and and difficult and depressing you know so the both things exist together i think right there's a lot more gas station nachos and uh (laughs) things like that involved than you know champagne fountains and whatever whatever else (laughs) but you know you you know you've gotten the opportunity to play on some of the biggest stages in the world though so you've you've definitely seen both ends from the vfw to you know Carnegie Hall or insert whatever it is here. But what is yeah. what is like a venue that really stands out to you as being particularly special or you had a good time at or is just an interesting place? Um one of the big ones to me was uh was the Jones Beach uh amphitheater on Long Island. A lot of times I think the ones that stand out to me are those ones that were, you know, were more in, in New York kind of places where I saw bands play. It's like the places you remember seeing someone play and thinking like, Oh man, if I could do that one day, that would be the most amazing thing ever. And then you actually end up doing it. So the, the Jones beach theater was one of those, um, you know, that, that was kind of the place where, you know, a lot of the, the bigger, bands that would come through new york especially long island that was about one of the biggest places you could play uh, aside from like maybe the nassau coliseum um so playing there was was huge to me and uh then irving plaza in new york which is not a very uh big or like glamorous venue but that was where i would go to see a lot of like the 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 indie bands that that you know were kind of And then like the late 90s or early 2000s, that was sort of like one of the bigger venues for an indie rock band. And uh, so when we got to that level, I felt like we had really made it, you know, and and that happened relatively quickly for Taking Back Sunday, you know, like after three years of of being in a band. And uh, so that was huge to me, even though, you know, like that that's again not one of the most impressive places but it was uh yeah that was, then that one always kind of just has a, a place in my heart because that uh, there's another one like that that's kind of funny it's even smaller called the knitting factory 
um, in Manhattan. And I think that place holds like five or 600 people. And I remember seeing the promise ring there and thinking, you know, again, even at that level thinking like, oh my God, if we, if I could make it to that point and be in a band that's like headlining this place, that would be the most amazing thing. And they were like huge to me seeing them in that place. I, I thought that they had really, you know, they had made it. And, uh, and, you know, now looking back on it, it's, you know, a pretty small venue. And again, taking back Sunday was fortunate enough to, to get there relatively quickly, which is crazy. But, you know, th- those are the ones that really stand out to me. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I know it's not exactly the same thing, but by the time this podcast took me to the backstages of venues I'd been attending my whole life, I was kind of like, wow, this is weird. And like I wouldn't have thought that I would have ever had anything to do back here. I was always out front, you know. Um, yeah, it's not the same thing at all. But it's I can kind of relate to the the seeing on the other side of the curtain and being like, oh wow, I'm really here. This is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a cool thing. I mean, you know, not a lot of people get to go to the other side, so you know, it, it's cool no matter what. Absolutely. So you guys started pretty young i don't know exactly how, what ages you were how old were you guys when taking back sunday started and started you know in a real way yeah uh when i started with taking back sunday i think i was 22 and um but that was like the very beginning so i, I think when the band started taking off i was more like 23 or 24 okay and um but the other guys were younger. Um, Eddie was was older than me, but Adam, Mark, and Sean, I think, were all like twenty when the band started taking off, um, and maybe even younger when they joined the band. So, so they were, you know, they were all pretty young, right? So, in kind of tying into that question, did any of you guys, or you specifically, was your family like? I don't know about this whole touring band thing or were they really supportive or how did that, how did that uh, go for you? Um, My parents were always really supportive, which I appreciated. And uh, I think that they were supportive in a way that they kind of were like, this, this will be a nice fun phase of your life. You know, you'll get to try to go play music and, see some things and do some things and you know then then eventually you'll settle down and you know and do something more normal and find a real career or something like that you know i i think they they, they i don't i think that that realistically you know it the 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 chances of um making it in a band um especially to the point that you can support yourself comfortably and have that be the only thing you do the odds are are stacked against you and uh so i think my parents were kind of realistic about that whereas i was just like no this is just what i'm gonna do and i just felt like i'd figure out a way to make it work somehow Uh, so yeah i i I, yeah but they they never discouraged it or anything they and and like when i was younger they would always take me to band practice and you know they bought me my first guitar and you know did did a lot to uh to encourage it right so this is just an observation that i've made from getting to know people who would i who i would consider successful musicians and then that is 
and this isn't 100% true for everyone, but more often than not, when they're off tour and not riding, they're doing something else. You know, no one's like really just chilling. I mean, maybe they are a little bit, but lots of guys are building cabinets or doing leather work or doing something, you know, that just something else, you know. And I think a lot of people have a perception that that musicians are just musicking at all times and there's never a side hustle or another interest. Do you have any thing on the side that you like to pursue or other artistic interests or just other things you're really into? Um, well, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, to not have to do anything else, um, you know, like professionally since, since taking back Sunday really, uh, started to, to do well. Um, so anything else that I do, uh, creatively is, is, is just, uh, for, for fun. And, uh, you know, I, I really, I, I was always into drawing, um, and in, in high school, I thought maybe I would do something um, with art. And I still like to, to do things, you know, creative projects with drawing and stuff. And uh, I, through the years, also got, I've, I've made some, done some homemade music video stuff. I, we did, I did some straight run music videos with my wife back in the day. And I've done different things with, with filming and, and photographing stuff. And, you know, that's always something I'm interested in. And, uh, but yeah, fortunately all that stuff is, is kind of just stuff I can do because I enjoy it. And, you know, I, I haven't had to rely on it to, uh, to pay the bills or anything. Right on, right on. That's, that's cool though. It's, it's always fun to, you know, explore artistic stuff in a different way. You know, it, I think we, yeah. we can pigeonhole ourselves sometimes and it's nice to stretch your wings a little bit and get out. Like what style of drawing do you, you do is it like abstract things or what is it if you could describe it um well like in in high school i was really into like drawing comic book stuff oh man man yeah and uh i thought that maybe i could be a comic book artist and uh then i started making my own at home and um one, one the first time I, I made my own comic book and I realized how much drawing like uh, the background behind the characters and, and like drawing buildings and cityscapes and, uh, you know, the, the, the room that the people were in, how much of that you had to do and how much of that, uh, how much time and, 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 uh, and attention to detail it takes and how long it took for me to, to do that stuff. I was kind of like, oh man, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna be able to hack it as a, as a comic book artist. But I really enjoyed doing it, and I would generally then just like draw just a picture of a superhero instead of trying to draw a whole comic book, you know, around somebody. But I was always into that, and uh, and I I did some other stuff with like commercial art, and uh, and I've done some stuff with with painting and that. Um, mostly now, I kind of will just do like line drawings and. Uh, it's, you know, kind of random stuff. Either it'll just be like drawing a picture of something I see in the room or a picture of, of somebody's face or, uh, you know, a, a scene of kind of like two people interacting. But generally, I kind of like come on this thing where I'll just have like a, a pen and try to do the whole drawing um, just just with the pen and like just simple lines and, and the 
trying trying to kind of capture something with uh, the least amount of like uh, detail and shading or anything as possible. Just try to like kind of do it in a simple way that is effective and and looks cool. So that that's probably my the best way to describe it. So you, you still like comics? I do. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I, I'm not as into it as, as I was um, when I was younger, but yeah, I, I still will uh, will read stuff. I mostly read Batman comics for some reason. Uh, th- that's one that I've just stuck with um, since I was a kid. How did you check out the like the recent Snyder Batman's and things like that? Yes, yeah. I did. Yes, that was I think actually kind of got me back into comic books a little bit i started reading those and they were so good i started just going and finding all the collected books mm-hmm. of the, the the snyder ones yeah those, those are those are they're all great so yeah that that's one of the big ones actually for me recently yeah it's really good stuff i haven't gotten all the way through it i'm really kind of late to the game i'll i've known about it and i've read it here and there but i'm i'm gonna do the same thing i'm gonna get the collected editions i think what's it start at quarter vowels is that the first one i think i think so yeah there's a lot it's taken me a while to kind of piece together where they all uh fit but i think you're right yeah i think that's the first one yeah i want to start there and move forward because yeah i'm a big batman fan and i used to read a lot more comics but i started branching out into not branching out because i've always kind of read these but i started sticking with more just like horror stuff mm-hmm. i love creepy weird things and right. <laughs> and so i i really like horror comics and so i I have some friends that are much more into it. And so basically what I do is I just say, hey, what's good right now? And also what's in a, available in a trade? Because right. I don't, I fa- read through them really fast. So if I get singles the way my friends do, I'm like, okay, on to the next. I need to sit down with yeah. and like go through the whole thing. I'm, in, I don't know if that's impatient or spastic or what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have the same thing. I, I, I can't really follow along with something on a month to month basis. Uh, well, one thing is like you read one issue of something and yeah, it goes by pretty quick. And then you've got another month till the next part of the story. And I don't really like one thing is even even if I'm interested in what happens next, like by the time a month goes by, I'm kind of like thinking about other things, doing other things and like the idea of just sticking with something month by month by month and following a story just seems a little uh, crazy. So, you know, yeah, just waiting till the story's done and you can get the whole thing compiled in one book is, you know, much nicer. Yeah. I think most of the people I know that do the singles thing, they, they have a lot of them. So they'll, you know, they'll have, right. They're following a bunch of different comics and storylines and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just not like, maybe I'm too, like squirrel uh, for that. <laughs> like, I don't know, but got to focus on one thing at a time or I don't focus on anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so as far as like newer music and, and artists, is there anybody that you're particularly excited about or it could just be new to you? Anybody that's really firing you up musically these days? Um, I just recently started listening to the Strokes album that came, the newest Strokes album. Um, it came out in in 2020 so so i'm a little late to the to the game on that but i've been listening to that a lot and it's really good um i actually had some friends tell me in 2020 that i should check it out 
And it was one of those things was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. And then kind of forgot about it. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, just started uh, checking it out like a month ago. But I really like that. That also kind of like renewed my interest in the strokes in general, because I kind of like lost touch with uh, with their albums at a certain point. So now I've kind of been going back through their catalog. And uh, yeah, so that that's been fun. That's been one of my one of my big ones. there's a lot of stuff that that I've gotten into recently. Like, is is not super new, but maybe some things like there's a band called Idols, mm-hmm. um, who also is yeah not not new, but uh, they were they were new to me in the last like two years, and uh, so I've I've really been getting into them and uh, Modest Mouse still uh, their their new album that was one I was right on top of and uh, it was really immediate for me when I heard that I was just uh, totally totally into it just uh, immediately yeah yeah I just uh, speaking of Modest Mouse I remembered I I shared a picture of Isaac's multiple pedal board view I don't know if you've seen that picture floating around the interwebs but no it's pretty insane he's got it's a it's a above shot of him standing in the middle of i think it's three or four different pedal boards with that are just completely loaded out i don't even remember what was all on on all of oh my them God. but it was just like oh man this guy <laughs> i i love it <laughs> yeah I've, I've got to check that out i've actually i'd be really interested to see what what kind of uh pedals he uses because there's a it's an interesting variety of sounds Especially, you know, they've got so many albums and uh, so many different sounds on each song on each album. So that's really cool. It's that that's something that I think I've never that I've always been a little bit intimidated by the idea of having, you know, like 20 pedals or 30 pedals to, to be working with. Um, right. It always seems a little bit scary. I'm trying well, to even just like the, the fact that there's some. <laughs> I'm trying what's to, that? I'm trying to find the picture right now. I'm not ignoring oh. it. Oh, they took it down. Mm, I'll have to go back to uh, my Instagram, but it's it's way back there. I won't worry about it right now. I was gonna like go through it and be like, okay, he's got a, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you can look up. I think there are places like I've got to check. There, there used to be some site. I forget what it was that somehow would give you a rundown of people's pedal boards that they, you know, would actually go through every pedal and, and tell you what different people use. So I would ch- like to check that out for Modest Mouse. But yeah, it always is scary to me, that idea of having so many pedals going, just keeping track of everything. But then also, I don't know how people deal with, like, if something goes out, if your guitar cuts out and you've got like 30 pedals, like you go through every one of those connections to see what might have stopped working or do you just constantly replace all the wires and plug everything in like all the time every single show like so you know nothing's gonna go out i don't know it's it's always a little scary to me i always end up like simplifying things because of that and like there's always like songs where i could probably use a couple more pedals that I did in the studio, but I'll be like, well, I'm going to keep it a little more simple because I'm just, you know, scared of, of getting overloaded with pedals. It's a, you know, people take different approaches. You know, the the way I think that looks most appealing to me, if you're a heavy pedal user, would be getting a, 
you can do it yourself or take it to somebody who really knows what they're doing and getting a really professional setup with the wires all secured and zip tied and dialed in right right and using most likely a switcher of some sort so that it's all just contained you're not stomping repeatedly on the, yeah right you know. right i think that's the way i would do it if i was uh to be touring around but honestly a lot of people these days and it makes a lot of sense they're if they need a lot of effects, they'll get it pre-programmed beforehand into their, you know, whatever mm -hmm. digital unit they're using and get it as close as they can to what they were doing in the studio and just use those presets, which is probably the smartest way to do it as far as, yeah, <laughs> you know. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's, you know, fly gigs all of a sudden get way easier. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. Have you ever yeah. any of that stuff? With like the digital... Like yeah. pre-programmed kind of stuff, like the Line Six Helix or you know the new Neural DSP floor unit or anything like that. I I am not, and uh, you know some of that stuff might make sense for me and probably be more practical. Uh, for some reason, like I've just been very um, hands-on with with like the pedals and like and kind of like. A little bit old-fashioned i guess like i i still don't even use like a wireless setup for my pedals i still have the long wire plugged in which i don't even really know why it would probably be easier to just be wireless but like it's just kind of what i'm used to is being plugged in physically and then uh you know a lot of the guitar pedals like the the delays and stuff like that i there's something i like about like physically turning the knobs and changing the settings during the show which again not not the most practical thing but um i guess it's kind of what i'm used to so i've mostly stuck with that i am with you though i mean i don't play live but i i like having the real thing and i like having you know tube amps moving the air around me and mm -hmm. i feel like the thing that gets lost the most in going to all digital in-ear type setup is not having that that physical air hit you you know it, yeah things kind of feel weird when you're used to it being the quote-unquote old school way some people have started you know mixing the two and using monitors on stage with that stuff to try to get some of that right i don't know it just, i feel like it, it's all really great and again probably what i would use if i was touring around but i do i'm with you i think something gets lost in translation not having the physical thing there and it could just be in our heads but it feels it's possible i mean the the this the digital stuff back you know even probably like five or six years ago there was definitely something missing but now like things are getting that, that stuff is getting so good that yeah i feel like they can they're figuring out how to even recreate like some of those like warmer sounds or like you know a more analog type sound like even digitally now mm -hmm. even those like amp simulators and stuff are it, it it's it's pretty amazing now to me to, to hear how good it sounds you know when that's first that stuff first started it was like oh that's a cool idea but obviously it doesn't sound as good as the real thing and now it's kind of like getting there it's especially with recording you know, I don't, I honestly, I think my ears are pretty well tuned at this point, but I I know for a fact that I've, I've talked to some people and been like, dude, your record sounds great. And they're like, oh yeah, we did it all in the box. I'm like, 
part of me is like, that's awesome. And part of me is like, that's man, that's, I don't know. It it loses a bit of the magic. Um, But if it sounds good, it is good. And that's what, you know. Yeah, that, that is the thing. And uh, yeah, the last time taking back Sunday was in the studio. Um, Our producer had, we had one of those, I I, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the simulator or whatever it was, uh, but we were going through it and we would actually like a B it sometimes with the amp that was plugged in, um, you know, and then see which sounded better and which one we wanted to use. And, and I think we used it sometimes, you know, and, uh, but it was surprising to me. It was, it got pretty hard to tell, uh, uh, you know, what was digital and what was, was not, it, it, it's surprising. Yeah. I mean, I've taken to starting when I'm recording, I'll record the guitar cabs, you know, just like normal, but I'll also run a DI out to, mm-hmm. just to my interface and grab that so that later when I'm mixing things, like I want to try an orange. Nope. That's not right. Yeah. I'll try a high watt. Nope. That didn't work. And just you scroll through because I, I use these STL tones plugins for recording a lot and or not a lot i'm starting to use them a lot mm-hmm. and uh I'm, it's just nice to have options i guess i'm just a nerd who likes a bunch of options so you know yeah yeah i mean we we always have a yeah a di running with everything we do it's it's just always good to have that option yeah you never know if it, what you might want to do with it it's it's better yeah. to have it and not need it you know exactly yeah so speaking of recording and you know, studios and producing. I I told I have a Facebook group attached to this podcast. I told them you were coming on. The number one thing that everybody wanted to know, and I apologize if you're getting tired of hearing this question, but is can we expect a Straylight Run reunion at some point? Well, we have uh we're playing our first shows together um in December. It'll be the first time we've played uh, in over 10 years. Um, and then the first time we're playing with my sister back with us in probably like 13 years. Um, so, you know, we did that. We're put, we put out uh, the live uh, live Straight Light Run album, which I, I that just uh, came out on vinyl uh this past month or so Mm -hmm. but uh yeah we had a a a live album from 2005 that we had never released and we finally just released it so that kind of got things going again to some extent and uh yeah so we're we're doing two two shows with taking back sunday in december and uh we don't really have any plans other than that, but uh, I feel like that that does kind of open the door a little bit more than it has been. And, uh, you know, we're definitely definitely open to, to doing some more shows and, you know, maybe even a mini tour. But uh, that, that that's all kind of uh, in the future right now. Nothing is uh, nothing set right on. Well, that's hey, that is much better than no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which has been been the answer for a long time. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I, I have a feeling that the shows will be closer to your neck of the woods, so I might not be able to make it, but somehow it hits the West coast. I will, I will definitely be there. So, yeah, we're doing, uh, the shows are the, the take back Sunday does, uh, these Christmas shows at Starland ballroom in New Jersey every year. So they're going to be, uh, there for, for those taking back Sunday shows. So nothing even close to the West coast, but like I said, I, I've, I've, 
had an idea for a while of it, it would be tough for Australia run to do a full kind of like month long tour just logistically. Right. Um, but I have had the thought of doing kind of like a handful of shows in the Northeast, a handful of shows in the Midwest and a handful on the West coast or something like that. Um, mm. So, you know, we'll see maybe sometime. So where can people find the, uh, newly released 2005 performance if they were so so interested um well it's it's on all the uh streaming services right now um it's yeah it, it it's anywhere you can stream music um and as it i think you can still i think you can buy it on vinyl i believe it's it's in in record stores in in real life i think and uh you can also uh order the vinyl online as well um where it, it came out through craft records i don't remember the exact address on the internet to find it but uh craft records has released it and it's on their website you can order the vinyl if you're into that sort of thing I'm sure you can Google Craft Records Straylight Run and it'll pop. Right. Yeah, or Straylight. Yeah, Straylight Run live at the Patchogue Theater is what it's called. So, but uh, yeah, it's very easy to find uh, streaming wise, if nothing else. I got a little bit of a sample before we, uh, or you know, a few weeks ago before it released, and it's everything that I hoped it would be. So it was great. Wow. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, before we get into uh, the very, very final questions of the main episode, I do have like a weird, it's its a weird aside, I guess. Um, it's, okay. something, it's something that my wife and I, uh, it's just a strange occurrence. So just before we got married, in my brain, I we went together to a Straylight Run show, I believe at the Hawthorne Theater in Portland. It was 2007-ish or so. And I loved it. It was a great show. I remember it very clearly. I have a stub in my framed ticket stubs, you know, here on the wall. It's like right in there. I can see it. And I'm like, yeah, we went and seen Straylight Run because she's all, she'll, she'll occasionally be like, I never got to see Straylight Run. I was like, yeah, we went together and saw Straylight Run. And I was like, I have the ticket. She's like, I wasn't there. You didn't go with me. And I'm like, who <laughs> else would I have went with? Like, we were almost... <laughs> Like we were engaged. <laughs> like I wouldn't right. I wouldn't have went with anyone else. She's like, no, I really I don't think I went. <laughs> she I was like, how can you not remember this? So it's like this weird thing in our house of like wow. did we or did we did she? I know I did. Did she or did she not attend that performance with me? And if not, who the heck did I go with? It's just a, a weird story. You, you've never figured it out for sure still? No, no. I'm I've I know that it was um it was on Black Friday. I know that much because we went, it was like our first, you know, like engaged thing that we did was like, go look for furniture, like the lamest thing ever, you know, on Black Friday. And she's right. like, yeah, I remember that. And I was like, then we went to the show. She's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, what did I <laughs> who did yeah. I go to the show with? It doesn't make any sense. I didn't go by myself. I never went to shows, but I don't think I've ever right. gone to the show by myself. So yeah. Anyway, a mystery in the Wyland house that you're a part of right <laughs> um but yeah before we we close out um this is the part where i i have a couple classic questions i ask everybody at the end but before i do that i like to give the guests a chance to you know say whatever they want to say you're you've got a microphone in front of a, a few thousand people right now so 
if you want to give a shout out to your aunt uh, or if you want to get a message out to people or just say anything right now, this is your opportunity to do so. The floor is yours. All right. I mean, I don't really have too much more to, to say. I mean, other than uh, what we've been talking about, uh, I don't know how, how soon people are going to see this, but we are uh, just starting a tour with Jimmy Eat World and Beaches. And uh, so if it's coming out there soon enough, you can still go see us at one of our many shows uh, on the West Coast in the next uh, two weeks. So that's exciting. Yeah, we've got the Straylight Run uh, live album. I, we covered that. Uh, the uh, EP by uh, my other project is out there. That is also on vinyl. We're also getting ready to release a remix version of one of the songs. And, uh, you know, so that's probably about it. All right. Plug a couple of things that I've got going on. There you go. Is there, uh, is there a Portland date on this uh, this tour? Um, Not. Portland. We go to Bend, Oregon, though. Oh, I love Bend. Mm. We have can figure so, out. A- I don't know how far that is from Portland. I know it's generally around, but it's like three hours. It's not bad. Okay. And Bend's a wonderful town. I love Bend. So I'll see if I can sneak over there. That'd be fun. Yeah. But all right, last questions, and we'll we'll segue over to the patron set, uh, side of the show. So first one is, and you may have answered this already. What is your favorite boss pedal? Yeah, I, I did that, that DD3 um, delay pedal. I, I still will use that. There's something I really like about that one. It, it was kind of, I feel like it was right before a lot of their pedals started to be more digital. Um, I mean, and I, I think I, that one probably is digital, I guess, but yeah. it has a, an analog sound to it. It also does this thing with when you change the time that a lot of uh, newer pedals don't do. If you let the feedback keep going on it, and then you change the time, it will also change the pitch of whatever's feeding back. And uh, that's something I haven't really been able to do on many other pedals. So uh, that's my favorite. All right. All right, final question. And I know you know you live in the very important place uh, for this question to occur. So it'll be interesting to get your your take on it but uh, what is your favorite kind of pizza um well uh when you say kind do you mean like like where i would get it from or uh what kind of things i would put on the pizza it's a very you know that's a very loaded question i know there's there's (laughs) there's regional styles there are toppings there are specific pizzerias and i kind of mean be as specific as you you oh okay well i i would say not super specific to a a pizza place but uh you know new york city in general uh i'd say any place almost any place you go and just get a slice of cheese pizza Mm -hmm. it to me is is about the best kind of pizza in the world there's nothing uh nothing quite like it obviously i'm not really um breaking any new ground here with my love (laughs) of new york city pizza but there is a reason that i think it's so well known and and other than that i would say the also in new york is the uh the grandma slice Mm -hmm. which they they do there very very well you know mostly sauce and then like one slice of mozzarella cheese in the middle of it and uh uh, that is uh, excellent 
Yeah, a little bit thicker. It's a square yes, cut. Yeah, a little more like a yeah, like a Sicilian style. But uh, yeah, it's mostly sauce and just a little bit of cheese. Excellent. I'm, I'm with you on that. I I was very skeptical about the whole New York pizza thing before I went there a few times, and I was like, oh, I was wrong. No, this is something it, special. <laughs> yeah, it, it nobody can uh, quite recreate it. Whenever you go somewhere and it says New York style pizza it's just not no one can quite get it right it's it's not the same anywhere else no i think part of that's the whole vibe you know just the experience mm-hmm. like standing there on a wet street in, <laughs> in that place eating a hot slice is is it's a yeah, there's something about it there's something about it man that I, mm-hmm. I, and i this is coming from an admitted skeptic so i'm with you <laughs> <laughs> Well, dude, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate it. This is great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll go ahead and uh, wrap up this portion of the show. So for John, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed recording it. And I hope that shows because it was a really good time. But as much fun as that was, And I hate to do this, but I'm going to. The bonus content was even better. So if you feel like supporting the show and you want more content, there is so much bonus content there, people. I'm telling you. You can go to patreon.com slash tone mob. For five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes beamed directly to your ears every week. Additionally, if you are an Apple user, you can use the Apple subscribe feature and get those right in your podcast player without having to sign up for any new apps or programs or anything. You just click the button and say, yeah, I want this. And there you go. You are in. And if you can't do that, if that is not going to work for you, I totally understand. I totally get it. But if you could, as always, share this with a friend, share this with somebody that you think might enjoy it. I know I say that every week at this point. I say, I beg, I beg for it. But seriously, it's the number one thing you can do to help keep this show going. And that is telling other people about it, whether it's people in your gear forums, people in your neighborhood, people at your guitar store, people wherever. Please, please share this with other people. It helps so much. All right, everybody. I'll talk to you next time. And I hope you have yourself a great week. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say 
based out of Bend, Oregon. But guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.